Welcome to the Skyline SIB podcast. We're so grateful that you're taking time to tune in from your busy schedule. We hope that this message encourages and inspires you wherever you are listening from. Now, here is an inspiring message by Pastor Dr. Philip Lin. Hello, Skyline. It's great to be in your midst again. I know the pandemic is keeping, keeping us apart and separating us. And so we can only connect digitally, but we look forward to days when we can get back together again. You know, one of the things that God wants to remind us during this time, when everything is being shaken in our nation, is that we are called to be an unshakable people. And that's what God wants for us in our message this morning. As we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I hope you've enjoyed the series that started in April. And today we deal with the last six verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Let's read it together. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You know, the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' Magna Carta to his followers. It was uh, the greatest sermon, perhaps, that anyone had ever preached. It would epitomize the trademark of his followers who lived under his lordship. And now, as he comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling them, let's go back to foundations the one thing that really matters. And in order to illustrate this, he talks about the number two. In other words, we need to make a choice and we need to make a very clear choice because the word, the number two, actually means making a choice. You have a choice. He talks about two gates, one narrow, one broad. He talks about two fruits, one good, one bad. He talks about two trees, one healthy, one sickly. And in the passage today, he talks about two men, one wise, one foolish. And he talks about two houses that seemingly look identical. Then he talks about two foundations, one on the rock and the other on sand. So two means that we need to make a choice. You can't just leave things floating at two. For example, it's not a good idea to have two girlfriends. You know what I mean? It's not a good idea to have two boyfriends and be two timing. If you have two wives, you're in serious trouble. If you have two job offers, you need to pick one. If you have two university offers, you need to pick one. And they, Jesus was trying to tell us that it matters. It really matters which one you pick. It's not like the COVID vaccine. You can either pick a Pfizer or an AstraZeneca. Both will save you. No, 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 no. It's not like, you know, either will do, either is good. One is good, the other is not. 
Uh, Holocaust survivors tell us that uh, when they were trucked or trained and, and brought by rail to concentration camps during the Second World War, they were gathered into one line and then the SS commandant of these concentration camps, literally gas chambers, would then nod with a nod of his head, indicate whether you were to move to the right side or to the left. If you move to the right, it, means that it meant that your life was spared for the time being. If you move to the left, if it nodded you to move to the left, it meant that you were, you were destined for the gas chambers uh, within the next 24 hours. So which side you chose, Jesus says, is absolutely critical to the way we live. Now, the way we live at the moment actually may look similar. We may say the same thing, do the same things, but actually what Jesus is trying to tell us is that while superficially and visibly the life we live may be similar, it may be built on very different foundations. And foundationally, it may be extremely, extremely different. Like chalk and cheese, day and night, oil and water. But if we choose the wrong foundations, everything will crumble. But if we choose the right foundation, we will be unshakable. Let me take you to what this means. In 1923, the great Kanto earthquake took place in Japan and devastated the whole nation. The whole of Tokyo city was flattened. Uh, very few buildings remained, but in the midst of all that flattened landscape after the great Kanto earthquake, one great solid building stood erect. It was the Imperial Hotel of Tokyo. Everybody was shocked while lesser buildings had fallen. How is it that a five-story structure, very tall for its time, could survive an earthquake? Who had built this building? And they did all their due diligence and they found that it had been built by an American architect by the name of Frank Lloyd Wright. Lloyd Wright was a genius. He was perhaps America's greatest architect in the last century. And the reason why the Imperial Hotel survived was that he built the hotel on a rolling foundation that moved when the earthquake came. And so it remained. And from that moment, everybody took note of what foundations were to be laid in the nation of Japan if buildings were to survive earthquakes. So Jesus says now, in this final parable of the Sermon on the Mount, there are two foundations, there are two houses, and there are two men two men, and we need to know uh, how to distinguish between these different foundations. So the last parable of the Sermon on the Mount, to understand what Jesus is trying to tell us, we need to ask three fundamental questions. The first is, who was this final parable meant for? Secondly, what do the foundations represent? And thirdly, what are the injunctions and the warnings? Firstly, who was this final parable meant for? It was meant for believers. How do we know? Firstly, Jesus uh, pictorially represented them as sheep, indirectly. Why? Because he told his followers and his disciples, you know, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's verse 15. Now, why would sheep... Why would wolves come in sheep's clothing unless they were coming among sheep? 
And it's no point for wolves coming in sheep clothing amongst goats or sheep or, or, or goats or wolves or other animals, right? It had to be among sheep. And in the Bible, sheep always represented the followers of Jesus. The believers were called sheep. So Jesus was definitely addressing believers. Secondly, these believers were doctrinally correct. They called Jesus Lord, verse 21. Now the word Lord in the first century AD had divine connotations. It was the Greek word kurios. And that's why in the first century AD, Christians would never call Caesar as Lord. I mean, they were forced by uh, an uh, imperial edict, edict to, to, uh, to, to, re to renounce their Christian faith and call Caesar as Lord and to say Kaiser Kurios, but they refused. And many of them were thrown to the lions. They called Jesus Lord because Jesus is God. In other words, they were doctrinally correct believers. Thirdly, not only were they doctrinally correct, they were passionate about Christ. They called Jesus not just Lord, but Lord, Lord. Again, verse 21. Now, when you repeat a word in a first century language, especially Middle Eastern language, Semitic language in the first century, it actually conveyed an intensity of emotion. That's why when uh, David lost his son, Absalom, I know he didn't just say, Absalom, my son. He said, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. That conveys the intensity of his emotion for his son, Absalom. It's the same intensity of emotion that was conveyed when Jesus said, as he stood before Jerusalem, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who had been sent to you. His whole heart went to Jerusalem because they did not recognize the coming of the Messiah and his love for Jerusalem. So when, when the believers called Jesus, not just Lord, but Lord, Lord, there were people who had an intensity of emotion connected to Jesus. They were passionate about Christ. And this fourth thing about these believers, they were serving in ministry. They said, did we not prophesy and do miracles and cast out demons in your name? Verse 22. They were people who, was using, who were using the name of Jesus in ministry and seeing a reasonable amount of success in their ministry. So they came before Jesus and said, Jesus, didn't we, we, we prophesy and, and minister in your name and cast out demons in your name? So what Jesus is saying amongst us is that as he tells the parable of the two foundations on the rock, and on sand, he's saying to us that amongst orthodox believers, storms when they come will reveal two groups of people who may look alike, who may be worshipping even in the same church, who may be going to similar connect groups and saying the same things and serving together. But actually, you can have two groups of people within a whole group of orthodox, passionately serving God believers who are building on two different foundations. I don't know if you've been to Venice before. People tell me that it is the most romantic city in the world. I have been to Venice once as a student. When I was a medical student, I, I went there with Operation Mobilization uh, to share the gospel. So somehow when you're sharing the gospel and tracting and distributing tracts and so on, uh, Venice doesn't seem all that romantic, you know, just smell the canals a bit. But one day I'm going to bring Nancy back there, you know, I'm going to have a great time in Venice because it's said to be the most beautiful city and most romantic city in the world. But one of the things that always strikes me about Venice is that when I look at it, it's actually a swamp. How on earth, how on earth 
are huge edifices like cathedrals, palaces, and, and magnificent buildings built on a lagoon with mud. How, how, what is the foundation like? Uh, you might want to know how Venice is built. It's very interesting. What they do is that in the mud, they drive in long piles of wood, whether large or pine or oak, compactly together, deep into the mud, probably up 20, 30 meters deep in. And then on top of that, they pile hardwood planks. And then on top of that, they put a whole pile, they lay bricks, and then they build on top of this foundation. And it seems to be reasonably solid. It's a technique of building that was known since Roman time. But ultimately, you may still ask the question, it's still built on mud, isn't it? So how does it hold these magnificent edifices? Well, people were quite puzzled by this for hundreds of years until the days came in modern engineering, they, were, they managed to excavate some of these old foundations and they found that the, the wood that had been piled in deep, compactly together, was so deep in a very compact mud that there was no oxygen. And because there was no oxygen, the wood didn't decompose. But over hundreds of years, eventually became fossilized and eventually became stony. And that's why they became solid. They were no longer in shifting sand or mud. And this is a great picture for us as Jesus warns us as believers that if we are building on mud and sand today, we can change and realign so that ultimately we build on solid rock. And so I want us to take note because here's the second point that Jesus wants to make in the midst of the parable. And this is a question. What do the two foundations represent? Sand and rock. Foundations are invisible substructures on which visible structures and superstructures are built. So foundations are unseen. What are seen above the foundations are, and which are built on the foundations are structures and superstructures. Structures are the things that are seen. For us in our lives, it may mean things like ministry, like works, you know, the buildings of the church that we have, the funding and the funds that we have, the following that we have, all these are, are, are seen. People can see the effect of the ministry or the influence we have in the community. These are structures, uh, these are structures of our lives. Superstructures are things that we are known for as a result of this ministry, things that are tangible. Things like name, reputation, influence, legacy. We can't see it visibly, but it is known, you know the name of the ministry, the name of the minister, the name of the believer, the reputation, the influence, the legacy he or she may have. And, and Jesus says that, you know, our foundations must be solid because uh, it, it's possible to build our ministry, our influence, our lives, and our reputation, our name, and our legacy supposedly on what we think is rock, only to find it is shifting sands. These two houses may both look alike. Everybody may be building similarly. And, and you know, they may even be identical. You can't tell them apart. As long as they're standing, by the moment they collapse, you can tell which was a rock foundation and which was a sand foundation because the rock foundation one stays still. It doesn't collapse. The sand foundation one collapses. 
It's not when a house collapses, you know what foundation it was built on. I say this rarely as a warning both to me and to all of us today as we live our lives of the Lord. And that's what Jesus wants to say to us as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I say this warily as, firstly to me as a minister, as a pastor, I need to be careful that I build on a rock and not on sand. I say this warily because there are ministers who have fallen morally and have yet refused to repent and continue to minister even today. I know some of them. I say this warily because there are ministers whose lives and ministries, songs and writings and books have blessed us over the years, but if, who have since then renounced their faith and walked away from God. I say this warily as a warning to myself, because there are ministers who have lived lives of deception, but who had an incredible ministry, but whose secret lives have only since been discovered long after they're dead. I say this warily because there are churches and ministries that may preach a populist or a compromised gospel in order to grow their numbers, their names, and their financial narratives. All these are houses, and these houses are structures and superstructures that may look incredibly, you know, awesome and impressive, but the foundation may be all wrong. These warnings tell us that the bigger and higher the structure and the superstructures of our lives and ministries, the deeper and more solid and secure must our foundations be. More than 25 years ago, I happened to be walking in Kuala Lumpur one day when uh, I noticed that they were excavating to build the Petronas Twin Tower, which was then to become the tallest building in the world. I managed to squeeze myself between uh, a, in a gap between two of the construction barriers and craned my neck to see the bottom of this, this foundation they were digging. And I couldn't see the bottom. It must have been a deep foundation. Two months later, I came back and they were still digging. Uh, the foundations eventually, they dug to a, a depth of about 120 meters and they piled to a depth of another 200 meters. And on this, they built this 375 meters edifice called the Petronas Twin Tower. One third of the height of the tower was its foundation. The taller the structure and the superstructures, the deeper and surer must be our foundations. So what do the foundations represent? Many people think that building a house on rock means saying, I'm doing it all for Jesus. You know what? Everything I do is for Jesus, just articulating and saying that. Now, that may be a great confession of faith, that I'm doing it all for Jesus. But Jesus wants us that that's not enough because there will be people who come to him at the last days and say, Lord, Lord, just words will not be enough. So what does building on the rock means? Ah, people say, building on the rock means just doing what he tells us to do. All the things that are said in the Bible that we must do, we, we do it. Because that's what it means, apparently, at first glance. Because Jesus said these words, the man who builds his house on the rock is the one who hears these words of mine and acts upon them. He does them. The man who builds his house on the sand is the one who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them. So obviously, the one who builds his house on the rock is the one who does what God says. So superficially, this may seem to be the case. 
Yet Jesus said to these people, some of them who came, he said at the end, deep, they said, you know, Lord, we, we cast out demons in your name, we healed in your name, you know, we ministered in your name. And he said to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Now, something is amiss here. On one hand, Jesus says, those who do my deeds are those who build, uh, act, uh, are those who build their houses on, on, on the rock. And those who don't are those who build the houses on sand. And yet, at the end, he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. So building on a rock must mean more than just superficially doing what God says. It must mean something far deeper. So what does it mean? We get a hint of what this may mean when we go further in the book of Matthew to Matthew 16, where when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded by saying, you know, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. When you go to the original Greek, this is what Jesus said. You are Petros. That's Peter's name in Greek. You are Petros. And on this Petra rock, I will build my church. Now, some churches, including, uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, have translated this verse to mean actually that Peter was the rock and the foundation on which a church is built, and therefore he was the first pope. But actually, the two words are not the same. You are Petros. You are Peter. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. So Jesus was saying something that, that is about Peter that was the rock. What was it? It is his confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the rock. This is the rock on which everything that we build on in structure and superstructure, everything of our, of our deeds must be built on. This is the one, this is the act. This is the execution. These are the deeds. These are the ministries that may be built on this rock of who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God, whose atoning sacrifice on a rock called Golgotha brought us back from our sin and presented us as acceptable, holy, and redeemed as his people before God. Not because of our deeds, not because of, the, of our moral lives, of our, or our righteousness, or our uprightness, but because of his grace towards us, because of that atoning sacrifice of Christ on this rock, this confession. And when we build a house on this confession, then we come to God by grace and grace alone then everything we do, whatever ministries we do, is a mark of gratitude. It's out of an outflow of gratitude from the grace that we build our lives on by his deeds, not by our deeds. And when we do that, then we will be unshakable and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. When, however, we are building on good deeds and self-righteousness and our moral uprightness, when we build on this and we say, you know what? This is our very foundations because I followed God and believe in God and, and that's what he said. And I've lived a morally upright life for the last 30, 40 years. Do you know what happens? We think out of the goodness of our lives. We're not like other people. We follow God. They don't follow God. We obey God. They don't obey God. We, we feed the poor. We do this work in the community. You know, we study the Bible. We, we live morally upright lives. You know, after 20, 30, 40 years of this accumulation, you know what? When we build as a foundation, we think God owes us. He owes us one. 
You know what? Because you're not like the others. Lord, oh, you can, can you see all these things I've given to you? And then the storm comes, as invariably it will. Both to the wise man and the foolish man, the storms will come. And the house on which we have built will collapse because our religious activity and our moral efforts have become our foundations over the years. And we did not know it. That's how subtle it is. It's like quicksand. You see, quicksand never kills you. Why? Don't believe those Hollywood, Hollywood movies that quicksand will suck you in and you're at the end, you're there just as one hand sticking out the quicksand. That's why. It doesn't do that. Why? Because quicksand is denser than the human body. It will suck you down, down to your knees, to your to ankles, to your knees, up to your thighs, probably up to your waist. But you know, you, it won't go deeper than that. It can come to your chest even. But it won't suck you deep, deep in because it's denser than the human body. So how does quicksand kills? Quicksand kills because subtly, without you knowing it, it prevents you from moving. And then the tide comes in and you drown. And this is what happened in the year 2013 when a 33-year-old uh, woman went to the Bahamas uh, for a, a, a wedding uh, for of one of her relatives and the, the, the wedding took place in a five-star hotel. Just the night before the wedding, you know, she, she went down to the beach just to admire the sunset. The tide was out, so she walked out, waded into the water, and we just watched this beautiful sunset. And after the sun had sunk below the horizon, had sunk below the horizon, um, and uh, everything was dark, she turned to go back. She couldn't. She found that her knees, up to her knees, had been gripped in, in a, like a vice by the quicksand. She didn't realize she had walked into quicksand. And she shouted for help, but in the darkness, nobody heard her. The next morning, they found her body. So what Jesus is saying to us is this. When we build on our, the more, on our own moral foundations and our deeds, and we think God owes us as a result of that, storms will find us out. It's very subtle over the years, but the collapse is very sudden. Just like quicksand, it's very subtle, but the devastation is very sudden. Here's the third thing then. So what are the injunctions and warnings for all of us here? There are three injunctions and warnings for all of us here. Firstly, make sure that the basis of our faith is sure and secure and solid. You see, the two persons look the same. The foolish and the wise men, you can't tell them apart. They may be in the same kind of community, doing the same things. You can't tell them apart. You can't tell who is the wise man, who is the foolish man, who is the wise man. Why is that you can't tell? Because foundations are internal. They are matters of the heart. And you can't tell the difference between the two until the houses, one house collapses. Then it exposes the foundations. I remember two couples that I knew uh, in, in Malaysia and uh, both had uh, kids, they were about five, six years old, about that. Both lost their kids at around the same time. Uh, one couple lost their daughter to a drowning, uh, to a swimming uh, accident, tragedy uh, by drowning. Uh, and uh, another one lost their, their, their son, same age, around the same age, to a road traffic accident. Both were absolutely devastated. Both were faithfully serving God and both asked God, why had this happened? And, you know, they, they were in severe pain. One couple eventually couldn't cope with this. They railed against God. They, 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 they felt that they'd been unjustly treated because of the way they have served God. And they gave up and turned around and walked away from God. 
the other couple, in the midst of their pain, began to realize that, hey, the son that was given to them was actually not their son. It was God's son given to them to steward. He never belonged to, to them. But one day they would ask God why God took him home so early. But God, they have surrendered that son to God in the midst of that, that pain. And they continued serving the Lord. Eventually, they went out to Cambodia as missionaries and continued serving God faithfully up to today. Which house was built on sand? Which house was built on the rock? Well, only when storms come do we really know. That's the first thing. Secondly, because of this, never get impressed by deeds alone, just by structures and superstructures alone. Because foundation is everything. See, both houses were identical. You couldn't tell them apart. Both are doing great things for God. It doesn't mean that both doing these great things with these great ministries, with this great influence, with this great following, great reputation and great renown, that both are known in the kingdom of God. It's not a given. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. So how you chart in your life and how you build, you know, don't just get impressed by what you've done or what other people have done and, and, and the extent of their ministry, how big their ministry, how colossal is their name, because they may not be known by the Lord. Because Jesus said, depart from me, I, I never knew you. Why? Because it is possible for us to do things for ourselves. Super, superficially, all these things look the same. We feed the poor, we, we reach out to with the gospel, but sometimes we're doing it all for ourselves. Our name, our reputation, what people will think of us, so that people would know we are big contributors because of what we want to leave behind in terms of legacy, because of other carnal intents and selfish intents. Who knows? Nobody knows. But if you're doing, and you're doing it out of gratitude to God, and you say, God, I, I really don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's really enough for you. I cannot thank you enough for what you have done for me. You know, and in the best of times, when I commit myself to you, my commitment is so tepid. My love for you is sometimes, even to the extent possibly of being lukewarm, so tepid. It's not as passionate as I like it to be. I cannot rely on my passion for you to save you. I cannot rely on my deeds to save you, to save myself. I cannot rely on anything that I've done to be really good enough. No, all I have is, you know, people think, you say it's very good, it's great, it's wonderful. A lot I, I know. It's not good enough. It'll never be good enough. And I rely on your grace and your grace alone. My friends, when push comes to shove on the last day, you may have a shaky house. You may have a leaky house. You may have a wooden house. May not be very much to look at, but it will remain unshakable because it was built on the right foundations. It will stand at the end when it truly counts. So that's what Jesus is saying to us. Don't come with all your deeds and say that's God, you owe, me, you owe me big time because you look what I've done for you. The posture in which we come, we're going to build God's house on the rock. It's nothing in my hands I bring. As the hymn writer says, simply to the cross I cling. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Never get impressed by the scale of deeds done. Christ alone cornerstone. We make weak made strong in the Father's mouth. And that will stand through the storm. And finally, the third injunction and warning God wants to give us is that storm 
will always finally reveal our foundations. In the year 1967, a beautiful 15-year-old girl, bubbly, vivacious, deeply committed to Jesus, broke her neck in a diving accident and became a quadriplegic. She would spend the rest of the 50-plus years of her life up to today in a wheelchair, totally paralyzed from neck down. People prayed for her. She was not healed. She cried out to God, why? No clear answer came. She prayed to God to heal her. She was not healed. But this is the story of Joni Erickson Tada, who from that moment decided to consecrate her life. Whatever she has of her functional control of her body to the glory of God and to build upon the foundation. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling and to build on the foundation of the grace of God in her life. If you ever heard her sing, it's a beautiful voice like that of an angel. And recently she caught COVID and God still saw her through it, despite the fact that her, her lungs are weak because of being a quadriplegic. God saw her through it. If you ever seen her paintings, which she paints with a, a, a paintbrush in her mouth, uh, that, that is so delicate, so intricate. If you ever seen and read her poetry, they really touch the heart of God. It is so incredible that when push comes to shove, lives like that can demonstrate to us what it really means to be built on the true foundation of a life surrendered to God. And recently, Joni Erickson and, uh, and Nick Wojcik, you know, both of them without arms and legs, at least one without arms and legs, the other one without functioning arms and legs, came together with a spouse for a beautiful photograph. And he, this is an incredible picture of God's grace and a true foundation. You see, storms will come to both the wise and the foolish believer, my friends. Just because we love God and live for Him doesn't mean storms won't come. But when they come, they will expose our foundations. So unless we build our lives upon the rock, His death, resurrection, His grace, once and for all, His atoning sacrifice for us on the cross to take away our sins so that forgiveness is extended to us on the cross and we are now made acceptable to God and received by God, not by our works or by our reputation of our moral deeds. When we come by grace, we build our lives upon the rock. His unconditional acceptance of us by grace. Everything else is shifting sand. But when we build it by grace and we build everything as a response to the grace that is given to us in His life, through, through the, His life on the cross, then we will always remain unshakable. And I pray that in the midst of the season when everything is being shaken right across the world, including our own nations, you will remain unshakable because God in Christ is our alone, is our cornerstone and in Him the weak and the helpless will be made strong. I pray today that you are blessed by this word. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Right now, where you're listening, whether in the comfort of your room or together as a family in your living room, wherever you are, whether you're listening online in KK or in another country or another city, God is speaking to you right now. 
He's saying, do you want to be unshakable? Do you truly then build on what my son has, Jesus has done for you on the cross? Some of you, you have never known what it is to open your heart to Jesus. Today, he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He says, will you open your heart to me? Because if you do, you can begin to build on the rock of my grace for your life. Because on the cross, I died for your sins to take away your sins. And today, if you welcome me into your heart, I will give you a new life, a new beginning, a new house. So if that's you today, and you want to open your heart to Jesus, and you've never done so, or you've gone away from God, but today you want to realign with, with the Lord, you want to give your heart back to Jesus and recommit to Him, will you pray this simple prayer with me? The words that come on the screen. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I trust you in the midst of the pandemic today. I do not want to build my house on shifting sand and rely on my deeds. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from trusting in my good deeds and from every entitlement. Forgive me for all my sins, my wrongs, and the sinfulness of my heart. I surrender my life to you. I build my life on your grace and grace alone. Thank you for receiving me. Amen. If you build, if you said that prayer, you, you began to build on the rock of Jesus' forgiveness for your life. Congratulations. We're excited to welcome you into God's family. Please stay online because we have somebody to connect with you in a, in, a, in a short while to give you some links to connect with us. We'd love to give you something to help you to grow your new found Christian life on the rock. But for the rest of us here watching today, I want to just pray a very simple prayer to bless you so that you will realign and build your life upon the rock. So all heads bowed one more time as I close, as I pray this prayer. Father God, thank you for everyone here. Thank you that, Lord, you have given us this last parable on Sermon on the Mount to tell us about the importance of building on the right foundation. You are the foundation. You are the cornerstone. The finished work of Christ on the rock what you did for us on the, on the cross, that's the foundation. And today, God, we come to you to receive you once again into our hearts so that truly, Lord, we will align our lives with you. It is by grace, Lord, we come before you. Everything in our lives is built as an act of gratitude to you, founded upon grace. All that we do, all that we say, the conduct of our lives, what we give, what we sacrifice, is nothing compared to the very foundation of what you did for us on the cross. So today, Lord, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I pray that each and every one of you, you will build your life from this moment on and be aligned with God's purpose for your life and build it on the rock. God bless each and every one of you. Have a great day. Have a great week. And may you truly know that you're highly favored, greatly blessed and deeply loved. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
This is the Skyline SIB podcast and stay tuned for the next episode. Visit our website at www.skylinesib.com and say hello. Drop us a prayer request or leave us a question. Want to know what's up and coming with our church? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. It's Skyline SIB. Let's connect. God bless and have a great week.